don't sound cool. Okay, good morning. It's an honor to be here with the church. Uh, it's an honor to be here and be a part of the family just for a little while, right? And uh, get a chance to share a word with you and to get to know you. I love your pastor. Uh, pastor Fudd is not only a dear friend of mine, um, but he's like a sensei to me too, right? Um, and I, I adore him dearly. So to be able to come and worship with you and to be here this morning is a true honor. And so without further ado, um, it was good to see Sean this morning too. It reminded me of something, and it really helps with the message I want to share. So my illustration, thank you, Sean. Um, when you were in college, if you went to school or wherever else, have you ever gotten in the mail, even like as an over, over 18, got in the mail those pre-qualified credit card opportunities? Am I what I'm talking about? You ever got in the mail, $15,000 credit limit, pre-approved, just return this one, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? You get this credit that's been provided for you in advance, but you need to tell them that you want it. You don't have access to it until you say that you desire it. Like, you have to confirm, yes, I do want that. It's available to you. They already decide that you can have it. And they already know you all your information. That's how they pre-approve that you can have it. <laughs> right? They just want you to sit back and tell them what they already know. They just want you to fill out a piece of paper, really simple, really easy, and say, Yes, I want that credit. Or you can decide, you know what, nope, I can cover all my debts on my own. I can cover all the expenses that I need. I don't need your help or support. I don't need your card. It's amazing. I'm going to parallel that for you. God offers you something that you cannot pay for. He's pre-qualified you for heaven and eternal life and a relationship with him through his son Jesus alone. All you have to do is confess your sin and confess him as Lord and repent from your sin and turn and love him. You have access. It's that simple. But the crazy part to me is there are so many people who would decide, nope, I'm going to try my own righteousness. I'm going to try it my own way. I'm going to try to cover my own debt. They'll literally tell God, I've got this. And I'm going to try to live the way that they want to, see things the way they desire, and tell God that I can do this without your help. That's not okay. It's crazy because the text we're going to walk through today, Paul is literally pleading with his brothers and sisters in Christ, saying, I, I wish that my brothers and sisters in Israel would come to faith and come to know this in this way, as he's pleading with these people in Rome, right? And it's crazy because they'll try to pursue their own righteousness. And some Americans today, most Americans, <laughs> Try to pursue their own righteousness also. I mean, I just want to be clear. America's not Christian. We practice a lot of rituals. We're religious on certain things. But if you look at the grand scheme, it hurts to think about sometimes. And so for us, the point being is there is an opportunity for us to be qualified, to be justified, to be washed clean, to repent from our sin and have access to all that God has for us. And it's not necessarily prosperity now. I'm not preaching that. <laughs> what I'm telling you is, uh, if you're living your best life now, you're destined for hell, okay? Because heaven's a lot better than this place. But what I am saying is, is that if you, if you confess your sin, confess the Lord Jesus Christ, and repent and turn, 
and pursue the righteousness of God, then you, you will have access to what he has for you. But that is the only way. There is no other way apart from Christ Jesus. And so today, when I look through this text with you, I'd like for you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. And while you're finding it in your Bibles, I want to kind of walk through what I'm going to walk through today in a summary. What's the problem? Like the people of Israel, Americans like self-righteousness more than the pursuit of God's righteousness. The solution is submitting to Jesus in every way, turning from sinful ways, having a renewed mind, like in Romans 12, 2, right? Um, don't be conformed to the ways of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so they can fulfill the purpose of God with our lives. How do we apply the solution? We begin with confession and believing, being changed and transformed. You then follow Jesus, abandon the ways of the world, abiding in Christ, abhorring sin, and being a living sacrifice as a witness for him. Now, I still have to start real fast, but I'm going to walk back through this. But I want to take a look at the text this morning and see what the Holy Spirit has for us. Now, this is what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to hear these words and to hear what I'm saying and say, I've oh, got it, and check out. And I don't want you to hear these words and say, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message this morning. And I don't want you to decide that, you know what, maybe this sermon is not for me because he's not that cute. Don't, don't do that, okay? <laughs> what I'd rather happen is this. Allow me access to you just for a moment to share the words from God with you. And where it applies, let it apply to you. Where the Spirit leads, let it lay on your heart. Let God have his way with you and hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. I'm a man with a nature just like yours. And so I am not speaking to you with a man looking down his nose, but a man in the same position that you are in in need of my Savior, in need of God to work in me so that I can be a light for him wherever I go. And so this morning, as we walk through this text, let's take it personal. Can we do that? I know you got coffee. Can we do that? Yes. Amen. Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Brothers, this could be brothers and sisters, by the way, this is close. <laughs> brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, them being Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Right here, what you're seeing in the text is him saying what I gave you an illustration before. Pre-qualified, but saying, not only that I can cover my own debt, I can abide by these rules and I can get in. I can do just enough good to outweigh my bad and I can get there. Question, how many sins do you have to commit to earn your way to hell? One. One. That's it. If you commit one, it's one and done. Okay? That's all it takes. Have you ever told a lie before? Okay, there's no such thing as a little white lie that's safe, okay? <coughs> I'm sorry. That's just bias. What I am telling you is, if you have ever stole anything, even a Skittle from your sibling, that is inclusive of a sin. Greed is a sin. Lust is a sin. Unforgiveness 
is sin. And I'm here to share with you this morning that in any, any parts of that sin can land you in eternal separation from God Almighty. So what you need to do, if you have never confessed your sin to the Lord, is to do that and confess that you need him to rescue you from eternal separation and damnation from him. See, the gospel is offensive. Let me just be candid, okay? It is offensive because what you're doing is you're telling people you've done wrong before, okay? You've made mistakes. And for those mistakes, you can die <laughs> eternally. That's offensive to people. But the good news of the gospel is you, it doesn't have to stay that way. There's an opportunity for you to receive the prequalification from the cross where Christ was crucified so that you might live. That's the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that no matter what I've done, he paid it all. He was the propitiation for our sins, meaning he covered it all. There's nothing we can do. We can't earn it. We can't work hard to keep it. It's that if you have it, you will live according to it because you have it. And you'll be made new, a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us. You'll think different, you'll perceive different, but you'll grow and you'll be sanctified in your life. It won't be an overnight perfection in your life. You'll still make some mistakes. That's where disciple-making comes into play. But you'll be a new creature in Christ, and you can see your way through this journey. And so my first point after reading those first three verses is this. Following Jesus requires a dependency shift. Following Jesus requires a dependency shift. You can't depend on self alone and be independent from God. You need him. And to walk around your life and think, ah, I need to pray. I've got this day. <laughs> I'm reminded of a story of a couple who was driving through treacherous snow. And the whole time they were driving, the husband and wife were praying, saying, God, please keep us safe. They would continue to drive. They'd see somebody spin out off the highway. Lord, please keep us safe. And as he was getting off of the highway onto his exit toward his house, the husband ignorantly proclaims, all right, Lord, I think I got it from here. Slams into the side of a light pole. <laughs> we do that every day. We wake up and we scurry off to our appointments and assignments for the day. We'll wake up and we'll scurry off to all the things that obligate us and we forget about God, assuming that we've got this thus far. But as soon as we're in trouble, no, I'm dependent on him for everything. Especially this, because I'm scared of my mind. But for everything, I need him. And I've realized this more often than not, especially since I have children. I send them off to a school where the media does not help you feel secure about schools and off to a place where you don't know what those parents of those other students are teaching their students or teaching their kids and then now they're peers with my kids and they're sitting in this classroom and they come home saying stuff you're like they said what and then you know beyond a shadow of a doubt Lord I need you to cover my children Lord I need you to cover my children today protect their hearts protect their minds because I can try to go put them off somewhere privately and say hey you know what I'll just shield them from all this for their whole life that won't happen eventually they're going to touch the world and the world's going to touch them and so the real question is where are you dependent on their safety 
Where are you dependent on your safety? Where are you dependent on you being able to serve out and walk out the life that you were created for? Because you were created. And if you were created, that means there was a creator. And if there's a creator, that creator has something special in mind for your life. The question is, what are you going to do about it? When you shift your dependency from independent to depend on him for the purpose he has for you, which will require you pursuing his righteousness in order to walk out the calling he has for your life. Because each of you have one. You're called to do something. In 1 Peter, if we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light, he didn't deliver you for your get-out-of-hell-free ticket. If that's what you think your faith is, you're dead wrong. You were redeemed and called out so that you may serve. If it was just a, I get into heaven once I'm saved, then we'd all just miraculously go to heaven right then, right? But then, what would happen to everyone else? Why are we here? It's a dependency shift. Look at back in Romans 10, starting with verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. My second point. Sin is serious. Hear me. Sin is serious. And it must be clearly identified and abandoned in order to follow Jesus. You remember when we started, I said, please don't think of someone else who needs to hear this, but take it personal, personally apply. Okay, confession. I never preach something that I don't walk out myself. I have no right to say anything to you to do if, I mean, I'd be a hypocrite, right? What's the definition of hypocrite? You need to make sure you brush your teeth four times a day. And I'm barely flossing once a week, right? <laughs> a hypocrite. But if I'm saying to you that sin is serious and we need to clearly identify it and abandon it in order to follow Jesus, that means I wrestle with that every single day. I'm not perfect. What I am saying to you is when you know that there is sin in your life, whether it is the lying, whether it is the greed, whether it is the lust, or you're harboring unforgiveness, or you're walking around deciding within yourself someone is less than you because of what they have or what they look like or what they wear, that's sin too. You have no right to judge or condemn anyone else. Repent. Ask for the Lord to help you to abhor that sin that you're in. Whatever that may be. For some, unforgiveness is real. We're walking into the season before the celebration of the birth of our Lord. Christmas. Everybody's excited about Christmas. Most people anyways. You have a couple of wrenches around, but most of all, people are excited about Christmas. The 
part that hurts me most is thinking about those who will intentionally not reach out to someone who has either hurt them or that they hurt because they want to not let them enjoy the holiday and they know that they're hurting. So this when it comes to family, right? If you got any reason to text somebody, Christmas is that, right? If you got any reason to reach across the street to a neighbor, Christmas is definitely that. I'd love to say I love all my neighbors. I try to love my neighbors. I'm commanded to, right? Um, metaphorically and literally, right? So I got this one neighbor, though. I love her to death. But she will not speak to me. She's small. She's decided in her mind she's not speaking. And so I'll reach out and be like, hi. I cheese just like that, too. I'm totally dorky about it. And I'm, and I'm obvious. My daughter will speak. Hi. She'll be like, hello. So I walk inside and go, I can't believe she, how dare, just, <laughs> right? But I got to serve the Lord with my life. So I can't walk in my house and be like, that day where I promise I will dump my leaves in her yard. She will not brew the day. <laughs> no, no. We love our neighbors and we forgive them. And if she was to have a flat tire in her front yard and couldn't change it, Guess what I'm going to do? If she was to have a problem of any type and she needed help, guess who's going to be the first one in line to do so? Why? Because I'm required to love my neighbor as myself. And when Jesus gave this magnificent model of a prayer in Matthew 6, when he gets done with saying, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those, which means, Lord, forgive me like I forgive other people. Could you imagine if God forgave like he did? Anyway, so at the end of that, in verse 14 and 15, he says, if you, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. If you do forgive, you will be forgiven. It's, it's difficult to me how much, especially we in this individualistic culture we live in who we decide that no I will not forgive them because I don't have to I'll just ignore them you realize that's a cage you're creating for yourself unforgiveness is a cage that you are holding yourself into and the only way out is forgiveness and obedience to Christ Jesus that's the key to get out you'll sleep better you won't need as much ambient melatonin anymore you'll forgive and you'll be able to rest in Christ Jesus Point two, sin is serious, and it must be clearly identified and abandoned in order to follow Jesus. Look back at verse 9, I'm going to continue. Because, now, when you see because or therefore or any words like that, it's giving you an identifying statement to say, because of all this stuff I just said, right? All the things I've just declared to you. Because of this, now this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. 
For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, again, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Even that neighbor that's difficult. Even that co-worker that's difficult. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't know which co-worker I'm talking about, you might be that co-worker. <laughs> Even that family member that's been difficult your whole life can call on his name. I say this to you because it's important for you to know that if we... If we, as the people of God, can walk in obedience and be light shining the glory of God wherever we go, imagine what our homes would look like. Imagine what our neighborhoods would look like if we could all shine the light of Christ as we claim we possess his spirit, redeemed by his blood. Imagine, imagine what our city would look like. I lived in Rock Hill for 10 years. We need some light shining. Love this city. We have work to do. Imagine what our state would look like if all the believers sitting in worship services were to get excited about the fact that they were given something they couldn't pay for. They were given access to something that they couldn't earn in any other way other than it being given to them and them saying, I want that. Jesus, I need you. I'm dependent on you to, to heal me, to restore me, to redeem me. Without you, I get none. And love him for that. So much so that it doesn't change when you get home and Netflix comes on. So much that it doesn't change when you get in your car and your radio comes on. So much that it doesn't change no matter who speeds past you and cuts you off in traffic and you start using hand signals. So much so that when you need to let your light shine most, the enemy can't thwart you, he can't distract you, he can't discredit you, so he can't destroy you, and he can't let someone else not get access to the same glory that you receive. I ask you, will you allow him to use you for his glory? It's a simple question. So this is my third point. Christianity requires conviction and commitment, not comfort and complacency. Christianity requires conviction and commitment, not comfort and complacency. See, we've got these C's all confused because many of us think we need a comfortable seat. We need to have a comfortable life. We, we, we can be complacent with watching sin all around us. And it's okay. I'm a child of the king. I ain't gonna do nothing. Psych! What does Jesus say about trees that don't bear fruit in the New Testament? Oh, he's pretty clear. You can go and look at the vines or the branches that don't bear fruit. In John 15, he says you're either cut off or you're pruned. You're getting cut either way. You might as well bear some fruit. In Luke 13, 6 through 9, he gives a parable of a fig tree. A fig tree in a vineyard. And when that tree 
wasn't bearing fruit. The purpose of its existence. Remember that? We're all here for a reason. I think that's probably the saddest reality for me as a preacher, right? Is to know that I'm required to tell others, hey, you're here for a purpose other than yourself. Because you tend to get looks like some of the looks you're giving me right now. The blankets of stairs. And what happens is it's like, hey, I, I know I'm here for a purpose. I got to make this money. I got to pay for my kids' tuition. I got to insert things here that will eventually fade away anyway. But the kingdom of God is eternal. Which would you rather invest in? A 401k that'll go when you go? Or an eternal kingdom that will be here when you're gone? will continue to grow and when Christ becomes, when Christ returns, the full culmination of his glory his kingdom will be reestablished and you'll be able to see people who you got the chance to forgive and show light to people you got to lead to Jesus, I don't know about you but the scariest thought in the world to me is to stand in front of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of all, the one who died for me, scars still in his hands. See him face to face and have to say, Jesus, I never led anybody to you. I never made one disciple. And I made my life about me. I'm not sure about you, but that terrifies me. Because I already know what his response is at that point. You read Matthew 7, you'll see it as well. And it's pretty clear. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. If you're not talking about sin, then the Holy Spirit's not in it. You can't talk about the truth and the hope of the gospel without identifying sin and saying what it is. And you have to commit to it. That commitment is real. Why is, in Ephesians 5, a marriage a picture of a covenant between God and his people? It's a commitment. I can't decide tomorrow, you know what, wife? Not today. <laughs> Not today. A little tired. Hungry. I reckon we just need to take a break. <laughs> what? And she hadn't died for me. I don't decide when Jesus is important enough for my time. He gets my whole life, which is a reasonable service. Keep reading through Romans and get to 12 again. Verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I just went King Jimmy. I'm sorry. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable service. All of your life. Every aspect of it. Allowing conviction to come in. Pursuing righteousness and commit to it. New distractions will show up every day. In closing, I'll give you three things to remember, God bless you, on both sin and for Jesus. Sin corrupts. Sin causes sin. And sin condemns. You see why it's important to identify it and abhor it and abandon it? Because it doesn't do anything good for you. Jesus. Jesus completes. Jesus clears. You're dead? Yeah. And Jesus creates. 
He'll create in you a clean heart. He'll create hope in you. He'll create a joy in you that was never understood or felt before. So that, so that you can do what he's called you to. He loves you. He proved it almost 2,000 years ago. He committed to you. He proved that in the same place at the same time. And he desires you. So when he came back from the grave and he said, all authority in heaven and in earth belongs to me. Therefore, go. But he didn't say just go because I'm about to go chill out. <laughs> That's not what he was doing. He said, lo, I am with you always. He hasn't left you. If you've received his spirit, and he is with you today like he's with me. And he's with all of us together, even more powerful when we come together. That's why the body of Christ, the collective unity of all of us is so important. It's not meant to be a me and Jesus movement. It's to be all of us together. There's some sin that you won't see without somebody else holding you accountable. You need that. So when someone tells you, hey, man, I think that's sinful. Don't get mad at them. Thank them and evaluate yourself. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says the exact same thing. He literally says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Stephen's translation. Check yourself. And if someone else gives you a little check, love them for it. They love you to tell you. If I tell you that your shoe's untied, you're going to be mad at me? If I tell you you have a booger in your nose, you're going to be mad at me? I helped you. You could have walked around nobody listening to you. Hi. How are you doing today? Right? At least I knew the same. Man, you got a bat in the cave, man. You got a bat in the cave. <laughs> and that's loving. Otherwise, everyone else knew what you just did. You're going to laugh. And you let them be foolish. But if you love someone, truly love them, then you lovingly explain, hey, I'm not perfect. But what I'm seeing right now might not be helpful for you. Can we walk together in this? That's commitment. That's true love. And the Holy Spirit displays it perfectly to us each and every day. And so in love, as I'm closing this, I'm going to say to you, how will you respond today? respond today? Will you shift your dependency from yourself and your way of doing things? Will you understand that sin is serious? Will you turn away from a life that is complacent and comfortable to one of commitment and conviction? That's the call for every believer. And for some of you today, you've confessed him you're baptized and you're in the family and for you it's a matter of just a thought process shift you know what I need to really evaluate me right now for others it may be you know I've never I've never once confessed